You are listening to On the Path with Dr. Charlie Kyle, Zach Rudis, and Johnny G. And I thought we'd start today with a quote from Gandhi. If we are to reach real peace in this world, and if we are to carry on a real war against war, we shall have to begin with children. And if they will grow up in their natural innocence, we won't have to struggle, we won't have to pass fruitless, idle resolutions, but we shall go from love to love and peace to peace until, at last, all the corners of the world are covered with that peace and love for which, consciously or unconsciously, the whole world is hungering. Isn't that amazing? The amazing. whole world is what? Hungering. Hungering. Everybody's hungry for peace and for love and for an easy, innocent existence, which is what I think we had with Eden, equality, eternity, essence. We had an easy existence. Everybody was easily pleased with what was going on. There was no division of labor. Everybody knew what the tools of production were. Everybody knew uh, what everybody else knew. And children could pick it up as quickly as they possibly could. Six and seven and eight-year-old kids were considered to be pretty much adult in a lot of societies over the years. And now the question is, I think, can you somehow open up education and intensify it at the same time so that the children coming up are not coming up in with anxiety, depression, fears of all kinds of nuclear war, et cetera, et cetera, all the fears that have been piled one on top of another. And now the fearmeister himself is, you know, just comes up with new fears every day. We have to bring them up exactly the opposite from what's happening now raised on screens, raised on, you know, anxiety and what will happen next and will mom and dad, you know, still be here tomorrow or are they both going off to work or now they're here, they're both working at home. Hmm, maybe we could keep that plus going. We have to look at where we're at, what do we do with who we are, where we are in our localities to maximize maintenance of innocence, maintenance of sincerity, all those, those, um, <laughs> I can't help thinking of, of my granddaughter Lily and, you know, your first music lesson with her and her, I love you, Johnny. Just, you know, that declaration of admiration, respect, love, peace, we're having a wonderful time. There's no reason why we can't be having a wonderful time all the time with our kids and change the world to make it safe for the innocence of children, that they don't have to lose this innocence to become adults, to become real human beings. Mm. But every culture has this um, expectation of um, growth to maturation and that the men become tougher or harder or more manly and the women will become more womanly and more nurturant and warm and you know the the gender styles will be achieved or exaggerated or better than ever or some kind of improvement 
on childhood. What about remaining as childish as we mm -hmm. can? Keep making the world safe for child consciousness, for child innocence. And as we get wiser, we get older, we get more experience, a whole lot of things will be added to that. But you don't have to erase your, your inner child or your childish apprehension, your childish awe of nature. Totally All these agree. things that kids have that are just wonderful and that why we like to be with them because they're going to surprise us with some, oh my goodness, this, she, this child has just discovered the moon or you know the moon has phases or all that wonderment and, and playfulness. Let's play. Can we play this, play that? You know, this makes me think of my, my Chinese students mm -hmm. uh, who I teach English to. The word play. I ask an eight-year-old, what did you do today? Maybe they say, I played, I played, I played with a toy, I played with my friend, I played with my sister. You ask a 12-year-old, okay, it's still play. You ask a 15-year-old, what did you do today? A 15-year-old generally will not tell you, yeah. I played. <laughs> play quickly gets relegated to this. Right. It's in the childhood pile, mm -hmm. and I don't want that anymore because I'm 15 years old, and I'm, I'm going to be an adult, and adults don't play. Right. Adults play music. Adults play sports. You hope. But that's it. Yeah. Play is, is confined mm -hmm. to this mm -hmm. little thing that we're going to give 45 minutes to, and then we go back to normal life where there is no play for adults. Right. What happens with a 16-year-old kid that makes them lose that quote-unquote innocence and decide that play is not for them anymore? Well, you're asked to make choices about what will you be when you grow up? People are asking you when you're four, five, six, and seven. And by the time you're 14, 15, and 17, it's a serious question. You've got to be somebody doing something at an expert level or with a high skill level. Or This specialization is, is encouraged, and we're looking for what will you become, not... I find that's worse in other cultures often. Yeah. My experience in the European system, by like sixth grade in a lot of countries, you pretty much have to be headed on a path. Mm -hmm. When you're 12, 13 years old, you're already being forced to decide if you're going to work in the sciences or the humanities, for example. Right. At least in America, we still have a, I think uh, it's, a, it's an imperfect model, but the liberal arts concept at its best, at least offers us the possibility to sample. Right. I'm not saying I'm, I'm totally signed on to the liberal arts education. There's a lot of problems with it. But it at least makes some base attempt to foster curiosity in different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And the, the proliferation of disciplines gives you the feeling of a cornucopia, you know, of plentiful ways to learn to know. So for me, the knowing part is, is always secondary to being, being in the moment, being who you are, becoming more of you, who you are. I love Theolonius Monks. So I think that he was the one who said the genius is the one who is most himself or herself. Mm, I like that. You know, you, if you can find out who you are through all these learning processes, 
we're really getting somewhere. But unfortunately, the, the learning processes, as we were talking about it last time, is um, very much lay it on them. You know, here's what you have to have to be a musician. Here's what you must know to be a historian. Here are the basic principles of grammar and rhetoric and so on if you're going to be an, an, a writer. And they, they get to the mechanics of it too quick and instead of saying just, hey, write the way you talk mm. or dance the way you hear the music or make relate one process to another and help people, help kids get good at all these different processes, then things will emerge. But there's some kind of faith that you need to have that um, this emergence or this pulling out that's true education, your educo educari, to pull out from the... Per- from the person you're, you're guiding or educating, can you pull out from them what is most them, most self? How can I, the, the, the phrase I find myself using over and over again is self-determination of peoples and persons. Are you a self-determining agent in the world? And can you can you help little kids feel that confidence of self-determination i'm becoming more me every day because mm. if they if, if they you've confined that that seed or beginning of a process that they want to be in and help it along to put kind of put a little stick on the hoop and keep that hoop rolling um you know that's the way i felt about some kids who i thought were sure to become fully fully expressed adults is they just got confidence where they got it from I don't know but they have the confidence to keep at a drumming pattern when other people give up or oh I'll never get this or this is too too much pressure here everybody's looking at me or you know what I mean there's so many ways to turn somebody off and and I'm still searching for the surefire ways to turn kids on Mm -hmm. that happened to me what happened to you with music yeah what you just said that not having not having that confidence to to keep holding that beat down mm-hmm. when it feels difficult there's times where john plays a show and he says yo come come play cowbell and i don't even feel i don't even have the the confidence to hold down a dun 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 dun, dun or whatever it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um i don't know what age that happened to me at but it's a cur- it's a well, curious thing, and it and it inhibits much more than playing cowbell. Mm-hmm. It leaks into everything. Yeah. Well, this this <laughs> the, the phrase that comes to my mind from Gertrude Stein is is a dog born with its confidence gone. And mm. you know, dogs are often kind of what's what's where do, where do I go next or. Who do I wag my tail at next? Or you know, where, where's the, where's the action? Where who can I relate to? Uh, as if if they can't find a master or a leader of the pack or whatever, they're lost. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm in trouble if I don't have a a guide or a a model or some some mother goose to imprint on. What's a gosling gonna do if there's no mother goose to imprint on? So I see what we do from zero to eight with little kids as 
helping to facilitate imprinting or mimesis or um, doing something that you like seeing Johnny do or you do or me do, that they, they want to do what we're doing, and we just help them to do it and to keep telling them that they can make their own. I got one feedback from some a young drummer who was six years old, and I got in touch with him when he was 18 or 19. I guess, no, I guess he was getting out of college. And he sent me a letter that said, the single most important thing that I got from uh, six after-school sessions at Salisbury Central was that we could make our own music, that we could do it. We could dance, make up a dance. We could make up a song. We could make up, make it up as we go along. And I, that thought had never entered his mind before that he could be the creator of his own dance, his own song, his own music. And that was um, big, big news for him at six, I guess. I didn't even know I was doing that, <laughs> saying that or um, implying that you could make your own. But I think that's the key thing we have to keep telling each other right? You're just thinking about, can I do a children's album? Uh, can I make it connect? Or how do I do that? Everybody is capable of doing exactly what they want to do. If they really want to do it, they'll find a way to get it done. And if if they were encouraged. Yeah. And, and given permission to, yeah. to, to be all you can be, to, to do it. Do it for yourself. DIY is... Um, Nobody can do it for you. Charlie has a slogan where he says, "Untune nobody." <laughs> I got that from nobody. I got that from Emerson, and it wasn't a big deal for Emerson. He just you know tossed that off in one of his self-reliance uh, essays. Did he use those words? Yeah, those two words: "Untune wow. nobody." Untune nobody, which is a double negative. You know, nobody. Everybody's got a body. Untune, nobody. You can you can spend a little time with untuned nobody, and really it's just what do you, what do you want to do? The other, the other great text that and I'm so sad that David Graeber died, September second. I'm really feeling that every single day now that this man who wrote, what's the point if we can't have fun? an article in the Baffler, I don't know, 2014, I guess it was. It's a pearl, just a gem of an article about how play is the principle not just of all mammals, all, you know, not just the otters and the humans, but baby kittens, baby puppies, baby pigs. Pigs, you know, they're, they're all playful. There's play to be had uh, in the whole mammal world, that's how you get off the breast and into the world is play and mock fighting and rough and tumble play and and uh, and signals that signal this is not aggression, this is play. I'm going to bite you, but it's going to be it's going to be fun. <laughs> you know those signals, complicated signals that a, a husky dog can send to a hungry polar bear. You know the story about the tethered husky? This dog is tethered down and can't run, and a big polar bear is coming up, and it's that season when those polar bears are hungry, and they're looking for seals or 
you know, stray dogs or whatever. And this husky gets down on all fours and shows its neck and wags its tail and lets its tongue out and sort of says, you know, can we, can we have some fun? And the polar bear goes for it. Wow. Before you know it, they're pawing each other and that's, that's playing. He gives, the, the husky gives all the play signals and submission signals I want to play. And the polar bear can't resist because it's a small, furry creature. You know, it's suddenly that dog has turned itself into a polar bear cub and a friendly one and a, and a playful one. And they tussle for five or ten minutes and the polar bear walks off. I was, I was I'll with, find a meal somewhere else. I was with a friend this past week who has a, has a dog about a year and a half old, sort of not well trained yet sort of still getting his legs under him. And uh, he makes a play date with his neighbor and the neighbor's dog. Neighbor's dog's considerably smaller. The owner was a maybe kind of a nervous middle-aged woman. And um, when the dogs start playing, my friend's dog immediately takes a dominant role. The woman's dog gets in a submissive pose, gets on its back, belly up, and the woman loses it. She cuts the play date. She couldn't deal with dogs being dogs. Yeah. She misread she misread the situation. Yeah. She misread those what you're talking about. The right. dogs know the signals. Yeah. They know how to show each other where I'm not actually gonna bite your neck off. Yep. But a lot of us are not getting that memo yeah. somehow. So humans have lost good some a lot of good mammal instincts are in us and could be imprinted out of us or mimicist out of us you know you mimic the right kinds of behaviors of your fellow creatures and this path of of gandhi's love and peace and innocence it's it's obtainable it's it's in in our resource kit it's in our instinctual guts so to speak to be able to do this and it it's a sequence thing that's the other thing that i think I'm terribly ignorant about is what's the right time or time frame? One of the during what months between zero and eighteen months old do kids most want to be in sync? I got this one example from Lily of you know ten months. I'm there with the ah ah of ooey ooh ah ah right on it. Fourteen months, not so interested in being in sync. If if it if we don't find the the Sweet natural spot. moment to yeah. to sort of have fun doing this or have fun doing that, I think you may miss a whole track, you know, a whole path, a whole avenue of expression may get sort of closed down and have to be reopened in your teenage years when you're in rebellion or you know, there are other many, many times in your life when you can be open to a path, open to a process, a way of swinging, a way of grooving, a way of writing, a way of doing calligraphy. Hey, I don't, I've got this messy handwriting at 14. I'm going to change that to have the style that everybody will look at and say, wow, that's Ralph's signature. Wow, look at that. He's got that. It's simple, but it's got a style to it. Anybody can intend that, can can go for it anytime. But if you get the the 
the cues, the possibility, the mimesis opportunity from good guides, in theory at least, and I should hope in practice because it's all practice and practice and practice, in theory you should be able to develop your own way of writing, your, your uh, way of singing. When did you first start getting interested in doing falsetto singing? Can you remember when that was a, a new thing for you? Wow, that's a great question. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, singing, obviously you sing in elementary school and then in the high school we sang in the doo-wop groups and stuff. I do not remember when falsetto became a thing. Sometime Here. after your voice changed. Yeah, right. That's a good question. Mm. Why Maybe do you ask college? that specifically? Um, it just popped into my mind as, mm. um, you, you know, I think you were imitating Prince or imitating... Um, Michael Jackson, or you know, there, there's a lot of Marvin Gaye. There's a lot of great falsetto singing mm -hmm. that goes on in the Afro-American world, and I heard it in Yorba Land, and that's when I re really realized that um, high pitches were not feminine. You know, we we have kind of from Western culture, bourgeois culture, you have sopranos, altos, tenors, and basses. But for most of mankind, and even in the West up until a century and a half ago or something like that, um, all these parts were singable by anybody. Men could sing soprano parts in choirs in the USA, in church. And it was expected that every men and women would sing bass and tenor and alto and soprano parts interchangeably if they wanted to. You know, there, there was no gender rules about sopranos, altos, contraltos, or, you know, this kind of hierarchy of frequencies. It was all, those were four parts, and guys could sing soprano parts two octaves lower or whatever. You know, it was a, a much richer and more open society with fewer rules and expectations about all these things. So to keep thinking about Gandhi's quote about um, statement about innocence and maintaining it an awful lot of things have, have been constructed to constrain and limit people's imaginations and performativity that maps onto what you just said about vocal registers yeah we're, we're boxing people in yep you, you gotta. You have this kind of a voice. Well, nobody told Ima Sumac, or nobody. Nobody told uh, mm. you know some of these singers who have inc incredible ranges. I don't. Th I'm not sure that it, this is a, a, a gift in your genes. It's um, you got that. I think that's why I asked you the question about falsetto because you've gotten better and better at it. You can do it with your guitar in the upper register and so on. You can match your guitar. This, these skills, you found your way into them because you got on a path. You were, had a kind of direction from early childhood on. I remember a time when you and I and Raven were in my... A drummer. In the room, and I said, how come you two guys are good at set drumming and there are a whole bunch of other people in high school aren't? And you looked at each other and said something. What? Well, do you have a TV in your house? Hmm. And you both s 
somehow came up quickly to the conclusion that not having a TV around and getting into drumming were somehow in a complimentary distribution. No TV, more time to drum. and Yeah, you could look good. at a pie chart of how kids spend their time. and oh, I wasted so much of my childhood watching television. Yeah. So it's, it's not even just a distraction thing, but a time thing. Yeah, yep. Um, I'm reminded of a Pema Chodron book you lent me years ago where she says um, to always remain a child of illusion. Mm-hmm. That sense of wonderment you mentioned. Yeah. Yep. Just kind of always looking at the world with wide eyes and... Did you say illusion? Yep. Yep. Does illusion in English also mean like hope? Yeah. That it's um, imaginary. It's this is not real. But Pema's use of it is keep your your sense of wonderment, w- wonderment, awe, and and I got to think about illusion because it does have these double meanings. In Spanish, it's 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 hope or it's like anticipation, something. Yeah, new. we had a T-shirt in Buffalo. Mike Morgulis had this big buffalo, and then it said. Buffalo, city of no illusions. We are, you know, we're tough. We're not, we're not to be deceived or um, jerked around. Mm-hmm. We're, we we don't have illusions. And then the what's Spanish, your, the Spanish on one that? was <laughs> Buffalo, city sin ilusiones. You know, without without hope, without mystification, <laughs> no, unmystified, un uh, unawed. We're real practical here. And? So play with it. Play, you play with words, and you and you notice how they get reversed. You know, illusion can be a positive thing, the the glorious illusion, and and you come and fulfill it anyway. Or it can be, you know, your it, del, del, it goes phases into delusional. You know, illusions become delusional. It makes me think of the word ambitious which in English also, uh, often has a positive connotation mm-hmm. more often than not. Yeah. Oh, really ambitious. Per- John's very ambitious. <laughs> He's going out and conquering the world. And in Spanish, it's more often viewed as a negative trait. Right. Ah, that person's like in it for themselves. They're trying to take, take yeah. a bigger piece of yeah. the pie from us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think Pema was saying just to maintain that, that, passion for the in- inexhaustible possibilities in life just mm-hmm. you can go anywhere you can be interested by anything lost for life dun, 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 dun. so not uh <laughs> losing that innocence like charlie said i was watching an interview with uh, harmony kareen he's a filmmaker pretty famous successful filmmaker when he was in high school he all he wanted to do was make movies uh, it was just his passion, and he had one teacher pull him aside and say, listen, that thing you wrote for class was fantastic. Um, it, you know, that was, do you want to make it a movie? I could, if I get got you a little bit of money, could you make this into a movie? And she somehow went to the school board. He said, oh, of course. She went to the school board and got like a thousand bucks or something. Yeah. And he uh, made it into a film, and that started him on his career path. If that one little yeah. thing hadn't yeah. happened, he hadn't been pulled aside by that one supportive mentor figure in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's looking at me as a hugely successful 
filmmaker. Right. So we need to, like we said yesterday, get out of kids' way, let them blossom, and just support them on their path to finding what they're interested in and what they want to express. Facilitate. Facilitate. Yeah. Yep. Company. We're composters. Nurture. We're fertilizers yep. of, yep. of, you know, the seed is so important. Back to the Gandhi quote. I mean, what comes first? The source, the seed, the first sound you get on a recorded piece of music, it all stems from there. So if you, you know, if you get a bad first take or bad guitar sound, you're not going to, you can't polish a turd. You can't fix that. But if you, that initial seed is strong, you know, that's, that's your foundation. That's everything. Yeah. What were, what were you, what were you saying? Um, after our last session, you talked about starting with the, getting the first note, right? Oh, right. The story of, uh, Freddie Green and Red Mitchell, Red Mitchell, the, the bassist. I, when I got him on the phone, we, we were on for about an hour and a half of, you know, I had to change tapes and the little cassette recorder. Mm-hmm. And he had a, a preparatory, he'd prepared this thing because he'd been asking the same questions about groove that I'd been asking. Only he got to ask Freddie Green of the Basie band and, you know, a whole lot of people that he was in a group opposite, you know, trading sets in Sweden or whatever. And he sat down with Freddie Green and said, Freddie, you've, you've played more swinging quarter notes, chink, 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 on your rhythm guitar than any human being alive. How do you do that? How do you, how do, you do that night after night? What's the, what's the trick? How do, you, how do you maintain that groove, groove feeling? He said, well, you've got to get the first note right. <laughs> and Red Mitchell says, you mean of every measure? No, of the whole tune, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you get the first note right, you got a shot at the second. And it wasn't until yesterday when I was sort of looking at the little poem I'd written, I said, oh, yeah, between the first note and the second note is where the groove starts, right? Or the tempo or the feel. That's where we're going to be for the rest of the tune. And the band is going to come in a little behind that Everybody I've talked to about the Basie band has trouble, including a bassist. Um, what was his name? Oh, so when you say case. Basie, you're talking about Count Basie. Yeah, and I talked to the to the one of the bass player who was with Basie when I first encountered the band at age 18 or whatever, and um, he was with the band for 10, 12 years. Great big burly guy. He later retired from music and uh, was employed at IBM over in Poughkeepsie. And I got him on the phone and I asked him, you know, the questions about where does the groove come from? And we got to this place where he was saying things that didn't make any sense and he realized it. He said, you got to call me back. (laughs) I have to think this through. We had these discussions on the bus. And it was something about the rhythm section feeling laid back and behind the beat and that the band would be behind that, that they would be phrasing behind the the beat of the bass, guitar, and drummer. And he said, this, in theory, should make us slow up pretty (laughs) pretty quickly. We'd be slowing up, but it doesn't. We're all following this bouncing ball of the feel of the bassy band in which the rhythm section is relaxed and a little behind this felt pulse 
and then the band is a little behind that, and yet we keep the tempo. So when Freddie Green says first note, and then you got a good shot at the second, it's as if he's determining that space, you know, the, the discrepancy, the participatory discrepancies are going to be this far and never farther between this first note and this second note. We got the tempo and we got a groove, and then the band relates to that somehow. And the bass player could never quite explain it to me, but neither could somebody somebody else. I mean, it's it's sort of that's the mystery. That's the the bassy band. What feel. I what I was when I asked you about that uh, about getting that that first note, getting that first note right. What I was trying to remember was what you said after, which was um, then you have a shot at the second. At the second, and that was that was that that was kind of the thread I was I was mm. trying to find because we were talking about children, right? And if we can kind of like allow them to get the first note right, yeah, like kind of giving them a shot, yeah, instead of taking away the shot by saying like here sit in front of sit mm -hmm. in front of the TV or here's <laughs> here's an iPad, shut up. No, that's a, it's a little metaphor for for life. If you can find the place where the kid is wants to go somehow and help him get there, um, it'll kind of take care of itself. I, at a certain point, I stop worrying about one child or another because I can see that they've already got a capacity for grooving, for playing with other people, for supporting somebody else's instrumental instrumental expression or whatever or their song if there's a little bit of teamwork happening and a little bit of this a little bit of that but we we need to get more over time i hope with lots of toddler jams and lots of different daycare centers and play care centers get started we should be able to figure this out you know get accumulate wisdom about how do you spot that guy on the TED Talks dancer. How did she get to be eight before anybody said this kid is really getting bored or itchy or a problem in school? That that dancing propensity should have been spotted at age four, five, or six. Mm. I can remember having uh, that young man who's now a, a kind of a flaming gay performer. When he came into the drumming class at Salisbury Central, I said, "Wow." He, you seem to want to be just a dancer, right? You don't, are you you know you don't want to drum? No, he said, I don't need drumming. I I just need you, but I like what you're doing. You know, he was there already as a performer before he ever got to to the class. This is one Vamila. Yeah, yeah. And and then Peter Pierce um, and I were sitting out there with another kid. I can't remember his name now. And he, he came up to the, you know, he'd been in the drumming class and he'd been sort of half interested and then getting bored and then interested again. And he was good at picking things up. And he said, how do you like this? And he goes, bump, 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 Yeah, that's great. That's a great little lick. I said, it made me think immediately of Louis Armstrong and Bing Crosby in High Society, the movie. In Bangkok, they all liked to rock. You know, it was a song. And it was a bump, 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 boom, and it cues up that last note on another drum or 
And we did that for about a half an hour after the drumming class. We were waiting for his dad to pick him up. And I said, this is one of those, um, you know, moments that you were talking, both talking about of where do we, where's that seed? It, ooh, it, it's been planted. He's got this lick and he thinks it's his own. He doesn't, he never seen Bing Crosby Louis Armstrong in a, the movie High Society, or maybe he did, learned it from, from the TV, who knows. But he had this thing that he could do, and he was proud of it as his thing. I'm not going to tell him it's, uh, it reminded me of this, because rhythms are rhythms, and they're, they're there for everybody at all, for mm-hmm. all time. They're like platonic forms that just can be filled by any person who wants to to do it. I'm thinking of music to come back to the Gandhi yeah. thing and natural innocence. It occurred to me while I was listening to you speak that uh, life changes, it complexifies as we get older. We mm, pick up responsibility after responsibility. But maybe music is actually the most obvious vector for continuity of natural innocence. Mm-hmm. You can play dun 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 dun, dun at five years old or twenty five or fifty or a hundred. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we d- it doesn't have to become more complicated than it needs to be. It's timeless. Yep. It's timeless. Yep, and it resonates with each person differently. It immediately reminded me of a fifties movie that I'd seen. It reminded me of something else when you did it. Did yeah. it remind you of Lust for Life? By Iggy Pop. Bump, 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 bump. Well, we were talking about this the other day. And <laughs> Yesterday, we, we were singing Iggy Pop, that song, and what I compared it, it to what? I likened it to that song, uh, Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet. Right. And I thought he was singing Lust for Life, which he just sang 15 <laughs> minutes ago on yeah. the podcast. It's a very, uh, this is rhythm is just in us. It's... <laughs> If yeah. nobody owns dun 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 dun, you know, right. right? Until you get until you get sued for it. No, you can't <laughs> be sued for it. Groove. This is at least established in the copyright law that I know anything about. You can't copyright a bass line, a basic simple dun dun da 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 dun 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 da da da. You know that can be Monks Friday the Thirteenth, or it can be. You know, it's the, Roz called it the world's oldest baseline, mm. <laughs> and so these things are like sounds like sixteen prototypes. tons. You know, sixteen tons. Very tons, and what do you get? Yep. Right, another day. Boy. And that that sixteen tons, and what do you get? Is a little bit like bump, 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 bump. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm. I mean, these kind of licks are prototype, archetype seeds of rhythm that have been there for time immemorial i guess it's all the same stuff so you can't copyright that you can't patent it you can't trademark it it belongs to everybody bass lines simple bass lines ground basses as bach used them or whatever you can't copyright and you can't copyright a riff or a, a little rhythmic trick or whatever the song blurred lines uh, Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams got mm-hmm. taken for a lot of money, millions of dollars by the estate of Marvin Gaye uh-huh. for plagiarism mm-hmm. when uh, 
some indications say it was anything but. Say modified. It, it's inspired by. Right. We're at we're at a point apparently in in copyright law where inspired by can expose you to risk. <laughs> well, see, this is capitalism desperately, desperately trying to hang on to property. Mm. This is a piece of property. This is a product. This is copyrightable, trademarkable, profitable. <coughs> and I think it's crazy to think that music could ever be property, could ever be a product, could ever be a, you mm. know. A, so I've been arguing the position. I, I once argued it with Bruno Nettle, a very distinguished musicologist with lots of books to his credit and kind of the lead professor at Champaign-Urbana for turning out ethnomusicology graduate students. We were at a meeting, and I was arguing, look, music is too wonderful to be owned by anybody. Mm. It is just a big flow of melodies and harmonies and rhythms and sounds and textures, all this wonderful stuff. And it flows along, and you try to chop it up and turn it into kielbasa or sausage or some product doesn't make any sense. It, it's not objectified or turned into a product by any primitive people that I've ever heard of. It only happens to be a you know a fixed thing in the quartz in Japan or you know high culture in urban civilizations have a certain form that shouldn't be messed with or whatever. And of course, bourgeois society says this symphony is the symphony. How long has music even been ownable? Only a few centuries. Hmm. Only when you write it down. Only when you westernize it and say it's got this chord progression and that chord progression. 99.9% of the world's musicking over the ages and across all cultures doesn't have music as product, object, for sale, recordable. You know, recordings create objects 45s 33s cds and now it got it just kind of evaporated music as object in the high-tech world well now they're now pdf uh, now we're being sold mp3 what 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 where is it like we're being sold infinitely replicable things say that again we're being sold infinitely replicable things yeah it used to be I mean, some people are still still buy the vinyl because it's a vinyl; it's an object. Yeah. And I like, I like Le Special, and I like the yeah. artwork that they have for this, and it's yeah. a collector's thing. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's fading. They can sell you. They can sell you an MP3 for someone can sell you an MP3 for ninety nine cents seven million times. Right. It's still the same file. Yep. And you know, it, it's been a contested thing now for what, 20 years? When was the first music for free thing? And they Like l- Napster? Yeah, it went on for a couple of years before they stopped it, right? I used, Naps- I used Napster in seventh grade-ish. <laughs> so I'd say like mid-90s, yeah. Maybe like 1995 was probably even early uh, illegal downloading of music. Yep. But do you see where now what we started with, with children in their innocence and wanting to have them own their own songs, make their own songs, feel like they can 
create as soon as they can breathe. You know, you can, as soon as you know how to sing a little bit, you make your own up, make up your own songs, and a lot of kids do. And then by the time they're 14 or 15, they, and mothers make up songs for their kids all over the world. Original lullabies, original um, teasing songs, or get you to eat your oatmeal songs, or you know what I mean? Songs are being generated by girls and women who then poo-poo it and say, or other people poo-poo it and say, oh, I'd, or the kids say, I don't want to hear that song again, Mom. That's what you used to sing to me when I was seven and eight, and now I'm 14. You know, or no more play. Yeah, the the the, the play, putting play behind you, and inventiveness and creativity is a um, pervasive um, pervasive thing. I don't know why, because and that's why that Graeber article. What's the point if we can't have fun? And where he takes it out to the spiraling galaxies, he says the entire universe is having fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, spiraling. Ga- why? What? There are nine different kinds of spirals, and maybe a tenth that a galaxy can can mm-hmm. take. It's pinwheel kind of a thing, or a inner inner circles of clouds of stars. I mean, the whole universe is spinning and uh, grooving, and you know, from from that point of view, expanding. Yeah, but how, man? You know, <laughs> it's expanding in spirals and different kinds of forces at work throughout the universe, having fun. And then he t- brings it back to con- to two Chinese philosophers looking at fishes in a stream, and what the minnows are doing, and it seems like they're not looking for food it seems like they're kind of chasing each other i think they're yeah they're playing i think and then they they start having philosophical questions and answers about the fish are they happy or you know it, it i can't remember what the um the little paradox is inside it but graber takes takes it from the inchworm why is the inchworm inching why does it swing on a little, you know, tiny thread and then boop, land on the next thing and then it swings and goes to the next plant. And he and a friend are just watching the inchworm go around with the swinging thing and then oop onto the next plant. And it, it doesn't seem to have, it's not a mating dance, it's not a, what's its purpose? Why is the inchworm inching and swinging and going to the plant to plant? Why is the crow sliding down the snowy roof and then hopping back up to do it again? <laughs> Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I've never yeah. seen that. I want to. <laughs> or why is the cockatoo mm-hmm. bouncing up and down on the back of the couch when it's listening to Thriller? Or yeah. Why does the cat find... You're thinking about snowball dancing. <laughs> right. The, every one of these things seems like a miracle at first and then you say wait a minute I've seen blue herons do you know I'm I'm making that up but Graeber was not the first person to think of this but Hudson in the naturalist in La Plata says that the common glad impulse is in every creature the amoeba the what impulse? the common glad impulse common glad impulse happy happy pulse 
is in the amoeba, pushing its legs out and kind of surrounding something. And there's an amoeba dance. Mm -hmm. The slime mold is all these little particles of mold. And they come together into a slime. And then the slime sort of slithers like this. And then at a certain point, it explodes into all the little things. And that's the common glad impulse of the slime mold. If the slime mold has a common glad impulse and the amoeba has it, what do humans have? Oh, they have music. They have, you know, they have many ways of expressing common joy together. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they've talked themselves out of it. Maybe they've thought themselves too much into, well, that doesn't, that doesn't agree with so-and-so's theory of the sonata form. I'm not sure, you know, the common, the common glad impulse is about as nice as it gets in terms of it's how the world works. It's how the universe works. It's how mammals become their respective adults. So let's, so let's suppose that a child's uh, common glad impulse has been squashed by society. Yeah. How do we, what do we do with, what do we do with the, those adults? Well, I I'm one of those adults. How do I find my common glad impulse again, Charlie? How do we reignite that? You spark? collaborate. You you recognize that your species being is not Homo sap sap. All the same, knowing knowers, we are each one different. And you got to find somebody else who is different from you in a complementary way to play with. Bassists are looking for drummers. Drummers are looking for bassists. Swallow and I had a lot of good conversations when we were 19 and 18. I was 19 and he was 18 and we were, I was learning how to play drums and he was learning how to play bass and we'd talk. You know, what is it that, how can we get better at grooving? How can we get better at making this swing thing happen? It was a, a quest back then and I, I didn't, in the, in the trio that was here, I didn't feel the quest for how do we make each particular song get a great feel to it? It seemed like Previtt was supplying the rhythm. Steve was just, you know, picking notes very carefully to be have best possible bass line. And the piano player was, you know, improvising in an easy, gentle way. And yet something, there was no, some missing intent to groove together. Was, it, that wasn't their intention. Their intention was to make this as pretty as possible or as, you know. They were, they were striving for a good effect, but it didn't have much to do with grooving. And to me, I was kind of disappointed. I said, wait a minute, Steve could really lay down a nice, solid bass, you know, walking bass, and I could relate to that, put, try to put a cymbal tap to it. And we were pretty good together. I don't know. Maybe that's disappeared from um, the minds of seasoned professionals. They're not looking to create the best possible groove in the moment. It's just not a not a goal. You know what I mean? When the when the kid asks Stockhausen, "Aren't these sounds alienating?" and then you do them aleatorially, and that makes it even more alienating. How can this possibly be art? You obviously How don't. could it be art? 
Yeah, I, and it was, uh, you know, this was something that Johnny sent to me, and I've been thinking about it ever since. The kid is right. The sounds are alienating, and the aleatory thing makes it even more alienating. And his only answer is, you're not as smart as I am, or you're not as, I'm an Ubermensch, and you're a little bit retarded. That was his answer, finally. Oh, you know what the best thing is in that Stockhausen thing? That he recognizes the relentless chopping up of the world for food and that humans are going to eat us out of house and home and that we're going to be wind up eating algae and so on because we've run out of uh, other animals to eat or other plants or you know he had this vision of the end time being no no more food possible because we've extinguished the speciation and uh, we're down to us and algae you agree with him on that no, I'm oh. just scared, scared. He, he was smart to have that vision. So music should be inviting and inclusive and accessible and able to be shared. Yeah. Rather than high art yeah. high skill art. sets. I, I just read something that I wrote back in the 1980s when I was at my nastiest Marxist anti-owning class head. And it was... We don't need art. We certainly don't need aesthetics, ideas about art. We just need to create, you know, just make, make what feels good in the moment for whatever reasons it feels good. Follow that feel-good feeling. Follow the groove. Follow the, can you get a tone on your instrument that everybody says, oh, that's Johnny G. He'd been in that thing this way. How does he do that? You know, if you have your own way of doing something and you can combine it with a few other people, a trio, a quartet. Beyond a quartet, somebody's standing there waiting to take a solo in jazz. You know what I mean? Can he pick up a tambourine? Can he help the groove? Yeah, quartet, trio. That's very are. interesting you say that. It makes me think of the book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. That's and a recent book, right? That yeah. just came out? Uh, maybe sometime between 10 and 5 years ago. Oh, Okay, but in that he talks about uh, the size of chimpanzee groups mm-hmm. are about fifty individuals. Wow, and their yeah. and their primary form of bonding is uh, grooming. Yep. So one animal grooming one animal. Mm-hmm. Humans' primary form of bonding is talking. Yeah. And uh, if you observe human groups, they mm-hmm. typically are. I think they calculated an average, at least in indigenous societies, but I think across groups. It's something like 3.7 yeah. individuals. Yep. So a group of four people can maintain a conversation. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. hit five people, that will split into two conversations. It will split into a conversation of two and conversation yep. of three in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then it'll change. And then yeah. it'll be a different yeah. three people. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting you say that about music because it's talking. Music yeah. is talking too, in a sense. Interactive. And like, You know, Shamu came to the... With his trumpet, came to the peace demo where Angie and I have, she's been playing the Tibetan cymbals, just pinging along with my foot tambourine. And we created a little texture and a little time there. And then I've got the clanker where I'm trying to be merciless on the two and four or on a. The clanker? What do you you mean? It's a um, piece of metal. I told you about it last night. It's a foot pedal with a. Foot pedal on a piece of brake drum. Primitive hi hat. I'm just advocating for the listener. Yeah. It's something that Peter Pierce made for me. 
And he said, you're going to like this, Charlie. And I clank. You know, it, it makes a, it, it's a high frequency and with a sousaphone and a tambourine on my right foot and a clink on the left, I can both have the high frequency frame of reference time-wise and a, a kind of sluggish sousaphone lays behind that. They're a one-man band in a band. Well, a one-man rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And a little help with Angie with the pinging. So you're at the symbol. piece demo. Hmm? You're at the piece demo. Yeah. Shamu comes, and just his adding a little melody, even if it just doubled the bass line, anything that he did was kind of magical. On trumpet. Yeah, because we were we were needing that third person who was just free to float or to get with the groove or you know he he added that all that boy you know three people is much better than two especially when angie's not quite on the time (laughs) consistently but um it was was wonderful In our DNA 